this limit to human lifespan, there is, there is no biological limit. Of course there isn't. We are the same stuff as a whale that can live a lot longer than us. This, we're built of the same stuff as, as tortoises and pretty much the same stuff as trees that live thousands of years. It's a software problem. I'm putting career on the line. It's a software problem. And what's interesting about biology is that software encodes the ability to rebuild the hardware. So we got to reset the software. And when we do that in my lab, we find that tissues regenerate in animals. Our organoids, which are mini human organs, regenerate. They fix themselves and they function like they're new again. So it's, in my view, 99% a software problem. And a massive transformative purpose is what you're telling the world. It's like, this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. This is the dent I'm going to make in the universe. Hey, David. Good morning. Good afternoon. How you doing, pal? Peter. Hey, good. Thanks. How are you doing? Good. I would normally ask you what you have for breakfast or lunch, but I know you skipped those. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm a struggling vegan. Uh, I'm not always successful, but I do strive most of the time to skip those meals. Yeah, as, as do I. Uh, some, you know, but coffee is a mandatory. Uh, the question is how much coffee? But we'll get to that conversation later. So uh, I want to talk about uh, a conversation that you and I have, and, and frankly, you've championed to a large degree, which is, is aging a disease? I just saw a Twitter poll uh, recently that you retweeted, and I did too, on that subject. Before we get there, you know, some of the facts that are at both our fingertips that I think are, are pretty crazy. I just held my longevity platinum trip, and one of the things that was shocking to me was uh, that 70% of all heart attacks have no antecedents. There's no shortness of breath. There's no narrowing uh, on imaging. It's just all of a sudden, you know, someone literally dies from a heart attack uh, from soft plaque. Crazy, right? Um, just, and the other, the other facts, uh, you know, at Fountain Life, we do full body imaging and coronary imaging and in seemingly healthy adults, what we're finding is 2% of people have cancers they don't know about, and 2.5% of people have aneurysms they don't know about. Uh, and so it's interesting, we're all optimists about our health, but yet we have very little insight. Uh, I don't know, how do you think about that? It's crazy. I think of heart disease and cancer as um, largely, un largely avoidable diseases these days with high technology, you know, the sort of things that found life are doing. Um, and that's through gen genetic testing, uh, looking at the DNA circulating through blood, uh, as well as new types of imaging. Um, and the sort of things that you and I do, which is extensive blood work on a regular basis. Uh, but that's not able to be reached by most people. Um, and, it, you know, it's right now it's it's a fair amount of somebody's salary to do all that. So it's 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 not fair to me to say, oh, yeah, just do this. And <laughs> it'll be fine. Uh, but we are heading towards a world where uh, we will know much more about our bodies before we get sick. And one of the things that I've rallied against is the old concept. And you're a trained MD, you know this, of of medicine thinking of treating disease rather than treating the patient before they get disease. And so that we have to shift from that mindset to take care of people throughout their whole life before they get sick, because what's driving most of these diseases, including sudden death, 
uh, from uh, an infarction, uh, unstable plaque or even soft plaque, is the aging process itself. And that's happening every day and depends on how we live our lifestyle. And that's largely slowable, that the way we live our life will actually slow down the ticking of that clock in my lab here behind me. We are routinely measuring that clock in mice and in human samples. It's very clear that some people age much more slowly than others, and 80% of that effect is not genetic, it's based on lifestyle. Um, just a personal note, I, I had one of my best friends die last week uh, suddenly from a heart attack while he was driving home, um, professor at, at Cornell, and I've had lost three people in the last couple of years very close to me for the same reason. So yeah, we do need to take preventative action and measure things as best we can and it'll only get better. Yeah, the, the stat I, I was with uh, a mutual uh, friend of ours, Eric Verdon up at the Buck, and we were talking about this, the stat that he threw out is that genetics account for 7% and lifestyle for 93%. And that's extraordinary because we do have control over our lifestyle. Uh, but the point you made, which, and I also, uh, Brian Binney, who was the pilot who won the Ansari X Prize, made the flight, again, felt dizzy, went to sleep, never woke up, you know, at age 69. And people don't realize this, that heart disease does start early and it is to a large degree preventable. You know, it, is expensive, but this is where the work that you do and to some degree my companies do is going to change the game. I'll give you one example, which I'm excited about. Uh, and this, you know, we have this enzyme in our liver, PCSK9, that generates our bad cholesterol, our LDL. And, you know, we've had these monoclonal antibodies that cost ridiculous amounts of money. It's like five, ten thousand dollars a year. And so it's not a first line defense to lower your cholesterol by 50%. Uh, but we've just finished our primate studies and are going to humans uh, on a vaccine against the PCSK9 uh, enzyme, right? And it will be 50 bucks a year. And you can sort of do this preventively. And, and uh, I mean, you can talk about the, the CRISPR edit of the PCSK9 gene. Well, this is exactly the kind of thing that needs to be done. And I commend you for, for supporting that uh, kind of development. Uh, you know, I talked about the, the expense, and, and you and I talk about this a lot, is that it starts out for the rich and let's call them the elites who are pushing the boundaries. That was That's true for all technology. The printing press wasn't available. Books were not available uh, initially. Flight was not available to most people. Um, and it's going to happen the same way here. Computers get cheaper and, and biotech is going to get cheaper, and you're helping that. Um, so what I'm looking for is uh, in the same way that you are, uh, reprogramming. So now we use gene therapy. We're in non-human primates now, correcting vision, restoring uh, the youth of youth of the eye. Um, that's still going to be a uh, a therapy that is expensive. Gene therapies are expensive by their nature, but my lab is working um, extensively, hurriedly, with passion. <laughs> yes, hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> yeah. I, I walk in every day and push them harder uh, on our behalf, those of us who are over the <laughs> certain age. Uh, they do have molecules and combinations of molecules that can reverse aging um, without gene therapy. And so th those chemicals could be very cheap. They could be a few cents a day, maybe a few dollars to reverse aging, and but save trillions, tens of trillions of dollars um, overall in GDP costs for the US. And that's the kind of buck that you get.
Yeah, I know. It, it, it's great. I mean, picking up on the point you said earlier, uh, I think people need to realize that, as you said, technologies in the beginning that are only affordable to the rich also in the beginning don't work that well. Um, you know, the mobile phone in the beginning was a you know $100,000 device and would drop a call for a Wall Street banker on every block going down Manhattan. And then by the time it works really well, it's cheap and available to everybody. And hopefully the work that you're doing is going to democratize and demonetize these uh, these things. And picking up on the trillion side, I'm sure I know you know the stat that came out, I don't know, nine months, a year ago, that a single additional productive year of life for the human population is worth $38 trillion, the global economy, which is, I mean, that's mind boggling. We calculated it, um, and by we, I mean Andrew Scott um, and other colleagues uh, in the UK. We've calculated that it's it's actually 86 trillion for the US alone, uh, extending healthy life by one year. And if you do 10 <laughs> okay. years, it's 365 trillion for the US. Uh, and so this is, <laughs> the only way of saving that much money is to stop military spending, which obviously we're not gonna do. And this is money, remember, that can be used for developing new medicines, education, tackling climate change, pushing technology forward. You know, the, the, the idea that slowing aging is going to bankrupt us and overpopulate us turns out to be patently false, demonstrably false. And uh, so that's why you and I think that this is one of the challenges of our time over the next five to 10 years to be able to achieve uh, cheap, safe, effective age slowing and age reversal. Yeah, it, I don't think, I mean, it's it's a moral obligation. <laughs> and I think people need to realize that. And there's such a pushback, you know, I think people don't realize there are so many institutions that exist today that don't want that because they've built their entire existence on the fact that we die and the fact that we are not living longer. But it's the single greatest gift you can give humanity and any individual. Well, it is. And, and you give a lot of talks. So I'm curious how you have your audiences respond. Mine, I, what I've learned over the last 25 years is that it's all about framing the question. If I ask people, how long do they want to live? Most people will say, oh, over age 90 or 100, come shoot me. Um, it often offends the 90-year-olds the or 100-year-olds in the audience. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, I'm also on record saying nobody who's healthy, who has friends, wants to die tomorrow. Nobody, no matter how old they are. Age is irrelevant as long as you're healthy and happy. And that's what we're aiming for. But if, also, if I frame the question differently, it is, if you could be healthy at 120, would you? And almost everybody wants that. And so it's not the longevity that people want, it's the health that leads to longevity. And the good news, the technology does that. We'd, I don't know how to make someone live longer without keeping them healthy, do you? No, I think, I think we need to define for a second the term of lifespan and health span, right? And I think really what you and I speak to to a large degree constantly is health span, is, is re retaining your cognition, your aesthetics, your mobility, so you're thinking clearly, you look good, you're moving well, you know, past 100. Uh, and I had, I've had the same experience. I literally was at a event at the Vatican on stage with a, uh, uh, an elderman, a rabbi, a priest, a, a cardinal, it sounds like the opening of a joke, and there's this audience of of probably about 300 scientists and physicians. And 
uh, Tony Robbins was there with me and I, I asked him, how many of you here would like to live past 120? And it was like crickets. It was like maybe 20% of the room raised their hand and I was like shocked. And you know, this was in the earliest days of my asking that question. Of course, I reframe it now in a different way. But there's another, you said it beautifully, which is uh, you need to have friends, right? You need to have people you care about. Uh, and the notion that uh, having, you need to have your future in your mind and heart be larger than your past. If you have nothing to live for, why live? And I think that whole psychology is so, so critically important. Right. Uh, and you're, you're the expert at this. You, you inspire people to have goals, which is really what gets us out of bed in the morning. And anyone who doesn't have a passion uh, or a goal in life, just find one. It's, it's essential for health and longevity, and, in my view, and happiness. And uh, it can be small, it can be large, uh, but you need one. And it's actually now proven that those who have goals and companions who support them, those two things, are the ones that live the longest. In fact, that was even more important than diet uh, in this long-term Harvard study. Beautiful. Good. I've got both of those <laughs> in spades. Um, I'm curious, uh, one of the mindsets I talk about is having a longevity mindset. Because I think you can will yourself to live and will yourself to die. And I'd love to, you know, you don't use that terminology, but I'd, I'd love to to hear your thoughts on uh, what you think a longevity mindset uh, means. Mm. Well, I've, I've witnessed it. Uh, my father, who I wrote about in my book, Lifespan, and who recently flew out from Australia to be with me in Boston and helped me teach a course at Harvard uh, to those students, he, uh, he had to change his mindset. He was a typical 67-year-old at the time which is a mindset, as I understand it. I'm going to retire. I'll have a good 10 years, hopefully. Uh, and then the rest is hellacious, and I don't even want to think about it. But it's going to happen. And my career is over, and uh, I'm not sure I'm going to do much but just sit around and maybe do some gardening. Now, that was 67. He's now, well, he became uh, mid-70s and realized he actually, after adopting these longevity lifestyles that I talk about um, and which includes, we'll get to uh, fasting, eating well, exercising, the usual stuff, but also some sleep, supplements. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He gets a lot of sleep. He has very good social group. Um, he hangs out with one of my ex-girlfriends, which keeps him young. Uh, <laughs> true story. And, uh, and so but it, <laughs> the supplements, you know, a lot of people know the supplements that I take myself. He takes those as well. And together, some combination of those has allowed him to get through 70s in a very healthy way. He's got no diseases. Uh, he's got, uh, he started a new career. He, uh, he went back to work. He's helping raise his grandkids. In fact, one of his grandkids is living with him. Um, and he loves life. And he's had to change his mindset. His, his mindset is, hey, he told me last night uh, over, over uh, the internet, a video conference, hey, I've decided to get a puppy. You know, that's his mindset is, I'm going to live over 100. I've seen that I've made it through my 70s. I'm getting younger. Literally, he's getting biologically younger as he gets older. He's now 83, no diseases, uh, not even any pain. He's got super amount of energy. His brain is actually sharper than it used to be in his 40s because he, he's not distracted by, by his kids. Uh, <laughs> and so he's loving life like he never did before. 
and realizing that the idea that you have this finite limit, um, you need to just give give that up, give that up and say that anything is possible, because science is also advancing at such a rate that we don't know what's going to be possible even five years from now. Five years ago, I didn't know it was possible to reverse aging safely. Now we know at least in animals it is, and it looks like it will be in primates, with which we are one. And so as the longer you live, the longer you will live. That's already true, but it's going to be exponential. And so that you, we do have to have a mindset of um, we need to love what we do, multiple careers, um, and, and not have a limit because that does place limits on us mentally as well as physically. This episode is brought to you by Levels. One of the most important things that I do to try and maintain my peak vitality and longevity is to monitor my blood glucose. More importantly, the foods that I eat and how they peak the glucose levels in my blood. Now, glucose is the fuel that powers your brain. It's really important. High, prolonged levels of glucose, what's called hyperglycemia, leads to everything from heart disease to Alzheimer's to sexual dysfunction to diabetes and it's not good. The challenge is all of us are different. Uh, all of us respond to different foods in different ways. Like for me, if I eat bananas, it spikes my blood glucose. If I eat grapes, it doesn't. If I eat bread by itself, I get this prolonged spike in my blood glucose levels. But if I dip that bread in olive oil, it blunts it. And these are things that I've learned from wearing a continuous glucose monitor and using the Levels app. So Levels is a company that helps you in analyzing what's going on in your body. It's continuous monitoring 24 seven. I wear it all the time. It really helps me to stay on top of the food I eat, remain conscious of the food that I eat, and to understand which foods affect me based upon my physiology and my genetics. You know, on this podcast, I only recommend products and services that I use, that I use not only for myself, but my friends and my family, that I think are high quality and safe and really impact a person's life. So check it out, levels.link slash Peter. We give you two additional months of membership, and it's something that I think everyone should be doing. Eventually, this stuff is gonna be in your body, on your body, part of our future of medicine today. It's a product that I think uh, I'm gonna be using for the years ahead, and hope you'll consider as well. You know, one of the other, I agree 100%, and it's, it's beautiful, and I, one of the things that I do, and I know you inherently do this, given your world, your life, your, your uh, who you spend time with is uh, actually taking in all of the breakthroughs constantly uh, that are going on. The, there's a shocking number of breakthroughs going on across the wide range of the hallmarks of aging and the technologies coming our way and the tools of AI. And so it's when you're deluged by all this positive news in the health tech and biotech world, um, and you substitute that for all of the news from the Crisis News Network, my, my name for CNN, it allows you to, uh, to just be optimistic because it's accelerating, right? I mean, I mean, you must feel a palpable acceleration of the amount of publications and breakthroughs and technologies uh, in this field. Right. Uh, well, my, my head is spinning and uh, even I can't really keep up. I, I'm using AI to feed me the papers that I need to read or look at. Uh, social media helps. Uh, before I get out of bed, I know this sounds really bad uh, for my <laughs> social life. Before I get out of bed, I've probably read the abstracts of 20 different papers in this field of advances. And that's just the beginning of my day. 
Uh, and I'm not exaggerating. There's there's a deluge. I get feeds for that. And these are big breakthroughs. We used to think it was exciting to extend the lifespan of a yeast cell by 10%. Uh, that was when I was you know in my 20s. Nowadays, you can't open up a major journal typically without seeing something relevant to aging and a breakthrough in understanding why we age and how to slow it down and even now reverse it. And it, it's a wonderful age where we can do, instead of one experiment per month, which is how I did my PhD, we can do a million in a day. The The genome is now 100 to $200 instead of being $2 billion. And, uh, and even reading the DNA methylation clock from a cheek swab or a blood, which is your, one way of measuring your biological age, speaking of democratization of technology, it's, it's a few hundred dollars at best for a consumer right now to measure their biological age through a blood test or a cheek swab. Uh, my student just developed technology that brings that down uh, by at least two orders of magnitude, probably go three to make it just a few dollars. I mean, it'll keep coming down to where the cost of sending the sample in will be more than the actual test itself. <laughs> that's, that's to plug the company. It's called Tally Health, if you want to sign up as one of the early users. I'm um, excited. Get, it, get in line for that. But, but my point is that we are in a world where things are changing so rapidly that you want to stick around, if not anything but curiosity. Yeah, well, it's the most exciting time ever to be alive. I mean, the only time more exciting than today is going to be tomorrow. And I agree with you. The, the deluge is, is exponentially accelerating. And I ended up building an AI system myself that searches the world's news for uh, for converging technologies impacting health span and longevity. And uh, I think everybody listening knows where it's longevityinsider.org. And I get 10 to 15 journal articles, tweets, you know, uh, anyway, magazine articles about this. What are the breakthroughs? And it's it's staggering. And what's amazing, and David, you, you mentioned this slightly a little bit earlier, you know, five years ago, really 10 years ago, the idea of working in the field of longevity or aging or an idea of age reversal was uh, was a death knell. Now it's the hottest subject. I mean, how many graduate students do you have competing for positions in your labs? I mean, it must be staggering. It's hundreds per position, but uh, and, and, and we're fortunate that there are a lot of new labs opening up in this field. It's it's blowing up in a nice big way. There are there's probably more than $10 billion now committed to investing in aging research and drug development uh, just in the past couple of years. And uh, so there's a lot of opportunity for young people. Not all of them will end up in my lab. I have a lab of about 20 people, so we're short on space. But uh, it, it is it is really exciting to me to see young people jump in. We, we actually, as a field, made a mistake about uh, 20 years ago. We thought, even 10 years ago, we thought that the people we want to target with the message of get on board, get with us, get with the program, call aging a disease, uh, were people over 70, 65, maybe 50s might, might listen. We're not sure. turns out those that are 18 to 30 are the ones that are most passionate. And I didn't see that coming, but it's really been heartwarming. And I think it, it bodes really well for the future of humanity. So for people who are listening who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, uh, is it the message that it's not too late to oh, start? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely, so, definitely, not, definitely not too late, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah. I. Here's the thing to remember is that uh, 
aging is something that's really malleable. We know from twin studies that those who change their lifestyle can have a dramatic effect on their ultimate longevity. Um, animal studies have shown you can intervene at the equivalent of 80, 90 years old and still have a benefit. And that's with relatively old technology, these age-slowing molecules. Now we're reversing age. We can take a blind mouse and make it see again uh, in a week. Now, these are the kind of technologies that are coming online that will allow someone who is of any age to be rejuvenated. And we can now multiply rejuvenate tissues. We, we haven't published this yet, so it's a scoop. Uh, it's not just a one-time reset. We're actually, this is in a mouse though, we reverse the age of their eye, and I gotta give credit to Bruce, Bruce Cassander's lab here at Harvard. We reverse the age of the eye of the mice, they get their vision, they age out again, and we just hit them again with the reversal, and then they go back again. And so I see a future where you know a 90 year old goes back to being 50, they age out till they're 60, and then they just keep resetting every decade. That technology, we, do, we can do this in mice. We're not that biologically different in terms of our aging process as a mouse is. In fact, the process of aging, as I've shown in my research, is similar all the way from us back to a yeast cell. So I, I'm very optimistic that these technologies of age resetting will work in the very old as well. I love it. I a few pointed questions here for fun. So uh, I'm curious. I've had conversations with Ray Kurzweil about this idea extensively about uh, uh, longevity escape velocity, right? The the point in time in which science is adding a year to your life, uh, greater than a year for every year that you're alive. So it's divergent and you escape. And then I've also had this conversation with George, George Church, a, a mutual friend, uh, working with us together on our age reversal X prize, which maybe we'll talk about. And they both gave me a number of when they think we'll reach longevity escape velocity. And I am curious if you're willing to offer one. I already know how to ostensibly uh, make someone less uh, aged than they currently are, and I can work with them to make them more than a year younger within a year. So I would say we already have knowledge how to go back more than a year every year. Now, the, the critics will say, well, David, you're just measuring the epigenome and you're measuring some biomarkers. That's not proof. And the answer is, yeah, you're right. But we're certainly not far away from a future where we're able to, if nothing more, stop the aging process. And I truly believe that. If you look at my biological age based on a number of measures, I'm at least a decade younger than my chronological age, my birthday candles would tell you. Um, and I'm not that good at exercise. I could probably be a lot younger if I tried. Uh, so I really think that, that that we're on this cusp. If if you ask me in, what, 1903, uh, are, are we close to flying? I'd say, yeah, we got the technology. It's just a matter of when, and it's probably going to happen in the next few years. Okay. So you didn't actually give me an answer. You gave me a sort of answer. So I, I but the question needs to be uh, a finer point because you're right. It's like, could you theoretically now? When will you? So I guess the question is, uh, when will a set of treatments exist that might allow age reversal and be accessible to some segment of the general pos uh, you know, public? All right, uh, ten years. Ten years. Beautiful. So that's what that's what Ray that's what Ray said. 
George had it at about 15. But both of those numbers are shocking. So, I mean, when I'm on, when I'm speaking to anybody interested in this area, I'm saying, listen, your job is not to live for 50 years. Your job is to live healthfully for the next 20 to intercept all the technologies coming our way during that period of time. Exactly. And so my father's on that trajectory. He's 83. He'll be around, all goes well, at least for another 10 years. Um, so I'm, I'm talk about motivation. Um, it's not just about how long do you want to live, it's how long do you want your family to live. And when you phrase it like that, you know, who wouldn't give a lot of money to spend an extra year with their parents? It's it's crazy, right? There is there is nothing more valuable than our health. And health is the new wealth. And at the end of the day, you're going to spend the money one way or another on health. And the question is, do you want to spend it at the end of life fighting a multitude of diseases in and out of the hospital? Or do you want to pay the attention and prevent this diseases from happening in the first place. I mean, it's that that cut and dry. Um, how old do you want to live, pal? Oh, I mean, I'm, that's not a fair, it's, I don't think it's a question I can ask ask you without uh, with a straight face <laughs> because of all the conversations we've had. Yeah, no, here's the thing. I, I, I've been changing my views over the years. Um, I could have told you very honestly, uh, if you ask me, let's say 10 years ago, uh, let's say when we were hanging out at, at the TED Med conference in San Diego, how long do you want to live? And I, I would have honestly said, um, I'm not doing this because I want to live longer. Um, I'm doing this because I hope future generations will live longer. And I really believe that. Um, I'm now at a point where I've had a lot of fun biohacking my body, measuring things, taking things, getting younger, feeling better. Uh, arguably looking better. And uh, I'm just having so much fun doing this. I, I don't want to uh, to stop doing that. I'm not afraid of death. You know, anyone who's seen me drive my Tesla around knows that's true. That's one of the reasons I'm autopilot. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not, I'm not personally scared of, of what's to come, but I am now, I'm hoping that I'll be able to stick around for another 50 years, maybe 100 years, to help push the field forward, to see what happens, to help inspire others as well and train others. And so I'm, I'm now more of, you know, I'd love to live to 150 if I could before I really didn't think about it. Yeah, it's interesting, right? I, I remember when I was in, in medical school, not far from where you are right now, I watched this television show on Long Live Sea Life uh, and, you know, bowhead whales are living in 200 years and Greenland sharks four or 500 years and sea turtles potentially longer. And I remember thinking, you know, if they can live that long, why can't we? And it's either a hardware problem or a software problem, and we're going to solve that. And I, I see this decade as that time where we're making that, that uh, we're getting the tools to do that. But then I, I, I stop and I think, you know, there appears to be some kind of a existing limit in the 120 time frame. Uh, that has never been statistic. There's, you know, no one's, we haven't seen any examples of, out of billions of people, anybody living longer than that. Yeah, I got into that. Yeah, that's Please. a bunch of, bunch of baloney. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. That's, so that's ridiculous. That, that's, not, that's not even logic to use that okay. argument. Uh, you know, it's, it's 1899. Let's look at the statistics of human flight. What are you going to project? It's impossible to fly. Because it's never been done, right? But uh, 
this limit to human lifespan. There is, there is no biological limit. Of course there isn't. We are the same stuff as a whale that can live a lot longer than us. This, we're built of the same stuff as, as tortoises and pretty much the same stuff as trees that live thousands of years. It's a software problem. I'm yes. putting my career on the line. It's a software problem. And what's interesting about biology is that software encodes the ability to rebuild the hardware. So we got to reset the software. And when we do that in my lab, we find that tissues regenerate in animals. Our organoids, which are mini human organs, regenerate. They fix themselves and they function like they're new again. So it's, in my view, 99% a software problem. And that's the good news because you can reboot software pretty easily. We do this all the time in my lab. And what blows my mind in a, in a paper that we published in 2020 um, was that we discovered that there is a backup copy of the original software in the body that you can access and flip the reset switch and it all comes back to life. And December, so December 2020 cover issue. I remember it well. It was epic. It was, it was fun to discover and, and a shock. And, and actually, that was one of the biggest moments of my life because of my career, because we didn't know if there was a backup copy. It's, it's one of those gifts to humanity that it exists. We don't exactly know how it's encoded, whether it's in a protein or on the DNA or some other thing we haven't thought of yet. But 100% we know that it exists and we can tap into that now. I love you for that, buddy. Thank you for your passion and, and your extraordinary, extraordinary work. Let me flip the conversation slightly to the morality of living longer. Because if you ask the general public, uh, many of them would say, you know, it's immoral or it's not fair. We don't have enough resources. It's overpopulation. And they come up with a multitude of reasons of why it's a bad thing to live longer. And I just, for those who might be having a dinner conversation that goes that direction. Uh, I'd like to forearm them with the opposite. Sure. Well, re read, read the last third of my book. It's all about that. I wrote it because a lot of these same points were brought up. And uh, there are some very simple answers in, in my view. And I've debated bioethicists. Uh, Leon Cass was someone who advised the Bush administration who I debated on, on public radio. Um, so that I've thought a lot about this. So that the summary would be that um, ethically, it is our duty to, uh, to allow people to choose when they die. We don't get to choose when we're born, but I think everybody has a right to choose how long they live. It should be a human right. Uh, if there are tools to do that, you get a choice. You don't have to take the technology or use the technology, but I want everyone to have that choice. So it's also, I think, not just a right, it's an, your obligation to live as healthy and as long as you can to do the right things. I do that not just for selfish reasons. I'm not vegan just because I want to live long. I don't want to be a financial and other other burden on my on my kids. You know, who hasn't had parents that have cost them a lot of time, money and angst, sorrow, desperation um, because their parent uh, didn't look after themselves or was sick for 10 years? I've had a parent that was suffering for 20 years. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not upset. This was just the way life went for my mother. But she did smoke. She didn't take care of herself. And I would say that having seen the difference between my mother and my father now, it, we have an obligation to our family to look after ourselves. And that's 
that's my view on the ethics of it. Yeah, I'll just add, you know, uh, one of the concerns people have is overpopulation of the planet. And if you look at the charts, uh, it may be exactly the opposite. You know, Elon, who now has, I guess, on record, 10 children, <laughs> goes on to, to point this out for, uh, for different reasons. But, you know, 50 years ago, uh, 50 years ago, the uh, average uh, children per family globally was something like 5.6. It's now dropped down to below 2.4. The U.S. is below the replacement rate, as is Japan by a large margin in many parts of Europe. And it may well be that we have a massive underpopulation on the planet. And, you know, just go fly across any country and look out the window. Uh, yes, we have our megacities, but the majority of the planet is, is underpopulated. And yes, we need to uh, feed, clothe, provide energy, clean water, to everyone, especially as, as people become wealthier, they want better quality of healthcare, better education, and, and better food sources. But we can do that, and that's what technology does. You know, uh, it's from everything from cellular agriculture to solar. Uh, this is the direction we're going. But saying to a group of people, "Thou shalt not have the right to live a longer, healthier life," that doesn't sound like a, uh, an ethical option. Well, no, and even doctors should feel that that um, th their mission is to prolong life. There is no great, greater or nobler cause than the prolongation of life. This is Francis Bacon, uh, sixteen fourteen. We add to I, a pro prolongation of a healthy life. Yes, exactly. Even better, um, and that includes mental health. You got to keep the brain young, otherwise, there's no point. Uh, but your point is well taken, which is that what we're doing in this field, addressing either 80 or 90 something percent um, of the cause of ill health on the planet um, is the right thing to do for our species and for the planet, also considering how much we could save um, and how much is wasted right now on what I call sick care rather than health care. Yeah, it's so there's, dev there is devastating. Yeah. Devastating. And, and by, just made one point, United, the United States ranks 42nd in terms of, of population longevity on the planet. It's insane. Well, this is because technology is distributed unevenly, and that we need to figure out a better way. I'm from Australia originally, where everyone has free health care, and it works great, you know, because people who get sick are a major burden on all of us. We forget that it's not just isolated, and it impacts all of us socially as well. Um, so really what we want is is cheap and effective not just medicines that treat diseases at the end stage, these you know band-aids or what I call whack-a-mole medicine. We want these cheap medicines to make it possible for us to get through our 60s without the fear of cancer and our you know 70s and 80s without heart disease. These are medicines that are right on the on the cusp of being available. There are some medicines such as metformin and low dose of rapamycin that are already on the market and are being used to prolong health that way. Um, and these are the drugs that I think are going to have a huge impact on the future of humanity in the same way when antibiotics and vaccines were discovered. Yes, thank you. Let, let's, let's jump in for a few minutes into what you and I both do that others can do uh, that is effectively cheap and reasonably uh, uh, affordable for everybody. And then talk a little bit about what the next layer of activities are. 
um, <clears throat> to maximize. So let's go back and forth. I'll start with sleep. Um, I didn't get enough sleep last night, but I prioritize it. I used to, in medical school, shoot for five and a half. I considered my stability point, but I just uh, sat down with Matt Walker for uh, for an hour, and the stats are are staggering. You know, there's nobody who can actually sleep under six hours and have uh, have good health. We need uh, at least seven closer to eight uh, hours to be able to do that. I use an eye mask. I use a cooling blanket. Uh, I use a, uh, uh, a uh, basically a process of bringing the lights down and ultimately getting myself to bed at the same time every night, which is like 9.30 because my eyes pop open at 5.30, 5.45. Similar for you? Yeah, so exercise and sleep are my downfalls. Uh, I have worked on it as well. Uh, I, I was talking with our mutual friend Tony Robbins about this and Serena Poon. We were on on also on a podcast, um, uh, an Instagram live to be specific, and we were comparing our sleep patterns. And after that, we followed up with our uh, our actual sleep measurements. We're all measuring it, and uh, I thought I was bad. I, th- I was getting an average of about five point five. Serena, by recollection. Uh, I think Tony was less than five, and then Serena was four point something. So here we are, professing <laughs> get sleep, and we are, you know, the worst offenders of, of probably most people. So I think that um, I'm, I freely admit that I'm not perfect, and I, I am striving. You mentioned some some hacks. Uh, I have a bed that reduces my body temperature, so I get better sleep, deeper sleep. I also I use other things such as dimming lights as well. Um, but I really, I do need to do better. One of the things that's not well appreciated is why is it so important to get sleep? Now, there's two things. New discoveries have said that it's a way of cleaning the toxins out of the brain. There are draining channels that pump when we're asleep. That's important. That's even true for flies, fruit flies. The other thing is that these longevity genes that we've worked on for years called the sirtuins control not just our longevity clock, our biological clock, but they also control our 24-hour clock. And when either of those clocks gets messed up, they affect each other. And so by sleeping well, you also slow down your rate of aging. Interesting. Uh, let's get to uh, to exercise next. Uh, uh, it's a weak point for anybody busy. Um, but uh, one of my takeaways from this longevity platinum trip I, I just finished, because everybody was was over and over and over stating exercise is one of the most important, um, uh, if you would, uh, complements to any longevity plan. And if it was a drug, it'd be a multi-trillion dollar drug. Uh, How far are we from exercise memetics that can help uh, maintain muscle mass? Well, I I think we're already here. Uh, It's just uh, not well known. Uh, so the first thing is that exercise plus these memetics gives you a double bang for the buck based on animal studies and some hints in human. Uh, one of the molecules that we've worked on for many years, uh, resveratrol, is an exercise memetic, makes mice run further, gives human more uh, energy. The one that's more recent from my work is called NMN, uh, not to be confused with M&Ms, please don't switch those now. <laughs> But NMN is a precursor, and, and, and Peter, um, you're... I, I'm, I'm imagining everybody who knows your work and who's read David's amazing book, Lifespan, yes. So the, the, so with NMN, 
Um, the uh, mice run further, uh, and it's even better if they exercise. But we have we have new data from uh, Metro Biotech, uh, which was spun out of my lab ten years ago, and using a molecule that also raises NAD in in muscle uh, and other tissues, those people had increased endurance as well as lower uh, other parameters such as cholesterol and blood pressure. So again, probably an exercise mimetic. Um, you know, I'll let you in on a little bit of a secret. Uh, working with the military, who are helping sponsor these trials, I'm allowed. I'm now allowed to say that. I saw the news when it came out when it was leaked. Yeah. Well, I, I went on Joe Rogan's podcast, uh, and he asked me about that, and I got in huge trouble for even mentioning it. Uh, and that's all I did. I mentioned it, uh, and then then the military put out their own press release a couple of years later, and I thought, okay, well, all right, now I can talk about it. Uh, but we're also, uh, and we're just increasing uh, the number of patients there t being tested by a lot, by another hundred. But that um, that study's gone really well. And so I think that this NAD boosting is one of these exercise mimetics. Um, are we going to be in a world where we just pop a pill and we're just as fit as we would otherwise be? We're a long way from that because exercise does a lot of things. Um, there's an interesting new molecule uh, called LAC-PHI, which is a little lactate plus phenylalanine, an amino acid, which was shown in a recent paper that that is what stimulates um, hunger after exercise. And one of the reasons it's hard to lose weight after you exercise or if you exercise. And so there are these discoveries where we're able to manipulate our physiology and our mental state as well. And those things, I think, together will help us. But also products that you mentioned, like the PCSK9 inhibitors, are also helping people lose weight and bring their metabolism back to more of a healthy, lean state as well. And I, I, I just want to encourage people to try and lose weight if they are overweight, because there's really few things that really accelerate the biological clock. Um, it's smoking, it's lack of sleep, but it's, it's also uh, obesity. So try and bring your body down to a BMI of around 25 or less. It'd really help. A brief note from our sponsors. Let's talk about sleep. Sleep has become one of my number one longevity priorities in life. You know, getting eight deep, uninterrupted hours of sleep is one of the most important things you can do to increase your vitality and energy and increase the health span that you have here on earth. You know, when I was in medical school years ago, I used to pride myself on how little sleep I could get. You know, it used to be five, five and a half hours. Today, I pride myself on how much sleep I can get and I shoot for eight hours every single night. Now, usually I'm great at going to sleep. If I'm exhausted, you know, I've worked a hard day, I'm right out. But if I'm having difficulty, and it occurs, I'm having insomnia or my mind's overactive and I need help to get that eight hours, I turn to a supplement product by Life Force called Peak Rest. Now, Peak Rest has been formulated with an extraordinary scientific depth and background includes everything from long-lasting melatonin to magnesium to L-glycine to rosemary extract, just to name a few. This product is about creating a sense of rest and really giving you the depth and length of sleep that you need for recovery. It's a product I hope you'll try. It works for me and I'm sure it will work for you. If you're interested, go to mylifeforce.com backslash Peter uh, to get a discount from Lifeforce on this product but you'll also see a whole set of other longevity and vitality related supplements that I use. We'll talk about them some other time, but in terms of sleep, Peak Rest is my go-to supplement. Hope you'll enjoy it. Go to mylifeforce.com backslash Peter for your discount. 
for those interested, I mean, my exercise protocol, I will do all I can to get 10,000 steps in. I'll take my conference calls there. I can't do my podcast there because of the noise, but uh, I'll take walking meetings wherever I can. And then I'll do a, a heavy weight workout uh, once a week at the gym. And then I've just got a catalyst suit. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the catalyst suit. It uses uh, electro uh, electromuscular stim in a, a whole suit you're wearing and uh, a video it's it's check it out so it's catalyst with a k but it's uh it's a pretty cool technology that i, I use for exercising uh at, at home sort of uh sort of the exponential tech version of it peter's wearing a suit that electric electrically stimulates his whole body <laughs> uh, let's go to let's go to diet uh let's begin with the fact that sugar is a poison um yeah that that is true uh, do you watch how much sugar you eat I, I do. I'm usually, I just took off my CGM. I use a continuous glucose monitor to monitor it. And listen, I'm not perfect, but it is, I think, twice about eating uh, sugar. And people need to realize the body did, you know, humanity did not evolve over the last 100,000 years in an environment that had all the sugar cane and all the sugar. It's an inflammatory molecule. It causes hypercholesteremia, neuro inflammatory, cardiac inflammatory. It's not good for you, to say the least. Yeah, I've avoided it um, as much as I can since my since I turned 40. Uh, I don't eat desserts unless I steal it. Um, and then I, I I look at sugar again, it, like it, it's not going to kill me, but I do think of it as a poison. It helps me get over it because our bodies crave sugar. It's what how we evolved. It's a good source of quick energy. But it does. It, it one of the things that it also does is it covalently, um, very tightly attaches to proteins and makes them malfunction or even become toxic. Uh, and so one of the the readouts of uh, for type two diabetes is uh, what's called uh, glycated hemoglobin or HbA1c, which is a glucose attached to our hemoglobin protein. But what most people don't remember is that hemoglobin is just one protein out of 20-something thousand that also get attacked slash attached to glucose, and uh, and that's bad for the body. So keeping those levels steady as well is uh, and as low as possible without feeling tired is, is a goal. So practically what I do, I'm wearing a, a CGM right now down here on my tummy. I won't show you that for obvious reasons. <laughs> Um, but I, I like to see as steady levels as I can. That also doesn't just mean I'm going to be healthy, but it also means that I don't get the the rushes and then the brain fog during the day. And that used to be my life. I would eat and then I'd get hungry and eat hungry and it was my glucose doing this. And it's no way to get through life. I can now just power through the day. My liver takes care of my sugar levels for most of the time. I don't feel hungry and I just think and I can focus. Yeah, no, it, it's it is amazing. I, I use a I use Levels as the uh, the system, the app that I use. Uh, uh, they work with Dexcom, and it's interesting, right? If so, both of us do a size amount of intermittent fasting. I think you do more than I do. I will try and uh, and fast six o'clock at night through one the next day. I'll have a late lunch and a dinner, but you have an extraordinary amount of energy. Uh, more than people realize when you're able to do that because you're not, you know, blood's not flowing to your gut and uh, people need to try it. It's it's a fascinating feeling. I mean, I, I literally felt hyper when I started that the first time. Yeah, you're right. It, it's a fallacy that you get tired because that, that's what happened when you, when you start because your liver is lazy. It won't make glucose 
for probably the first two weeks. So power through that that zone, drink a lot of water, tea, coffee, whatever gets you through, fill up your tummy, and you'll find that you end up having more energy than you've ever had in your life. Yeah, it's it's amazing. So we, we hit sleep, uh, exercise, uh, diet. I think mindset is is clearly one of the most important things as well. Um, and that comes with love, community, hugs, and and just uh, you know purpose in life. Um, uh, and then you know we can talk about it some other time. But there's a whole slew of I call it "Don't Die from Something Stupid" category, uh, which is you know imaging yourself uh, in a way. You know this is through Life Force, uh, through uh, Fountain Life, uh, through Inside Tracker. Uh, these are ways to understand what's going on inside your body uh, so that you can uh, be data-driven in, in the decisions that you make. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I work with top athletes and uh, other well-known people who want to optimize their body for performance and longevity. And I cannot do anything uh, scientific or even effective without measuring something. And I... I either use inside tracker or I've been involved with them for many years and I into just full disclosure I, I put an early investment in that company um, there are other measuring companies tally health is one I'm now developing for biological age um, there's like uh, the whole uh, life force group they do a lot of measuring so what I made the case of for in my book was that we need a dashboard on our bodies um, as good as or better than we have for our cars and we wouldn't drive our cars without a dashboard. It would be crazy. We wouldn't know where we're going, how fast we're going, if we're running out of fuel. Why do we do that on our bodies? Why do we go to the doctor for an annual physical? This is medieval. We need our bodies to be checked up a thousand times a second, which is what you can do now with monitors like uh, you know Levels Health provides. That's just glucose. The future, as you know, uh, is that we're going to be monitoring thousands of analytes. Constantly, and, it, and it's all going to your AI that is optimizing your life. If you wanted to, if you don't, if you want to be a couch potato, that is your option. But you should have the option to actually maximize your health, buddy. Uh, uh, I am grateful for our time. Uh, I'd love to come together and uh, on our next conversation do a little bit of an AMA. We both have a, a large Twitter audience. I think uh, both of us have ask them what they'd like us to talk about. So on our next session, uh, why don't we take some conversation from, uh, from the community. But uh, I wish you an extraordinary day and, and uh, week ahead, pal. Uh, appreciate you. Well, thank you, Peter. And, and likewise, uh, what you do for us, uh, people at the forefront of technology, is you inspire us and give us the resources to make the impossible possible. Thank you. Thank you. I'm proud, by the way, everybody, to be a, a, a benefactor to David's research in his lab, along with Tony Robbins. We love what he does and, uh, and counting on you so much, David. All right. Take care, buddy. You too. Bye. Bye. Everyone, this is Peter again. Before you take off, I want to take a moment to just invite you to subscribe to my weekly tech blog. Today, over 200,000 people receive this email twice per week. In the tech blog, I share with you my insights on converging exponential technologies, what's going on in AI, how longevity is transforming, adding decades to our life. In the tech blog, I often look at the 20 meta trends that are going to transform the decade ahead 
and share the conversations I've had with incredible tech thought leaders on how they're transforming industries. If that sounds cool to you and you want to try it, join me. Go to dmads.com backslash blog, enter your email, and let's start this weekly conversation. Let me share with you the incredible progress we're seeing in the world of technology and the positive impact it's having on our lives. Again, that's diamandis.com backslash blog. Looking forward to sharing my insights and incredible breakthroughs I'm seeing with you every single week. Mm-hmm.